Now, today I want uh, to talk to you about the importance of gathering to worship God. The importance of gathering to worship God. Why is it important for us to gather together to worship God? Now, we looked at this issue earlier in the year. In fact, we've looked at it twice um, as we've been going through the Psalm of Ascent. So you may be wondering, why are we looking at this for the third time? Now, surely by now we know all of this already. Well, the reason we are looking at it is because the Lord thinks we need to hear about it again. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the simple answer. Because we come to it for the third time only because we are going through the Psalms of Ascent. And we come to it especially today because it's at the end of the Psalms of Ascent. Now, the Psalms of Ascent are songs sung in the Old Testament by Jewish pilgrims as they went up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. There are 15 Psalms of Ascent. We've covered these in 22, in 22 sermons, including today's sermon. We started a journey at Psalm 120, and today we have arrived at the end at Psalm 134. And in this Psalm, Psalm 134, the faithful pilgrim is at the temple in Jerusalem and is now taking part in gathered worship. So it is not a surprise that Psalm 134 is different from the other Psalms of a sense we've looked at. It is in fact arranged as a liturgy for gathered worship in the temple. I know, it's, it's not obvious when you look at it like that, isn't it? Where's the liturgy there? Right? It's not obvious. But it is arranged as a liturgy. There are actually two groups of people in this Psalm. Uh, in verse 1 to 2, the pilgrims are speaking to the priests and Levites in the temple. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. That's the pilgrims speaking. They are calling on the priests and Levites who have come to the temple to do the night shift. And they want these people, before they start their night shift, to join them in the gathered worship. The final evening worship. There were two worship services in the temple. Or there was a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. So that's verse 1 and 2. The pilgrims are calling on the priests. In verse 3, the priests overseeing the evening sacrificial worship respond by blessing the pilgrims. May the Lord bless you from Zion. He who made heaven and earth. Now you may be wondering, why do you say the priests are speaking in verse 3? I don't say it. Well, two reasons. First of all, verse 3, because verse 1 to 2 is addressed to a group, right? But the you in verse 3 in the Hebrew is singular. So verse 1 to 3 is not addressing the same people that verse 3 is addressing. Verse 3 is the blessing given by the priests to the pilgrim. The second reason is actually the more powerful is that the words of verse 3 are similar to the blessings that the priests usually gave the people, and these words are based on Aaron's blessing in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, 26, May the Lord bless you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. You remember those verses. Now, we'll come back to these verses, these issues later. For now, the main point I just want to address at the beginning, I want you to see is that this psalm teaches us about the importance of gathered worship. And that's quite important. Uh, I've had the pleasure of listening to many messages, actually about Psalm 134 in my life. And a lot of them are about work, 
working in the night shift, uh, a lot of them are about many interesting issues about the temple itself and that kind of thing. But I want you to read the Bible and allow the Bible to give you the message that God has given it. I want you to read the Bible exegetically, expositionally, as we say. And as you study this text, you see that it's actually about the importance of gathered worship. The Psalms of Ascent are about the people of God going on a journey to Jerusalem to do what? To gather together for worship. And as they go to the journey, they're also thinking about the challenges that they have faced in their lives. That's what the Psalms of Ascent are about. And Psalm 134 concludes their journey by reminding them of why they have come to Jerusalem. They have come to gather together to worship God in Zion. Now today, the people of God do not need to go up to Jerusalem to worship God. The Bible says they gathered a church, us. We are now the new Zion. And yet, like the people of Israel, we too need to be reminded, don't we? We need to be reminded constantly on why we are here. Why are we here this morning? Because we forget why we are here. We become slack, even in gathering together. And so this psalm is reminding us that. Now, before we look at this psalm in detail, let's just come to God in prayer and ask for his help. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that this is your word, the living word. Uh, We do pray that you would open our eyes uh, to see what you have for us, that you'd open our ears to listen to the preaching of your word. We pray that you take away any distractions uh, from our minds. We ask, Lord, that you'd speak to us and that we would hear and that we would appreciate the blessing that is the gathered worship of the church. We thank you that you have chosen to speak to us for the third time about this topic. So help us to listen and help us to put into practice that which you have spoken, you desire to speak to us. We thank you for the Psalms of Ascents and the opportunity you've had to study them uh, over the last 22 sermons. We do pray that these messages we've heard would be messages that we would continually go back to listen to the recording and that we would continually seek to put them into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are in Psalm 134. Uh, Here's what it says. Let me just read that again. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So there are three lessons here, I think, that this passage is teaching us about the importance of gathering together to worship God. The first lesson is this, and it's there in your outline. The priority of gathered worship. The priority of gathered worship. If you like those remembering things, the whole start with P today. I don't know how I came up with that. In fact, I had four points, but um, I got rid of the final points, which is, uh, uh, I was broken my heart a little bit. And so you're only hearing, I think, today, three, three quarters of a sermon. Uh, you could only bear three points. Uh, so that's my excuse. Otherwise, we'll be here the whole day. Anyway, the first point, the priority of gathered worship. 
The first thing we see in this psalm is that our gathered worship of God has priority, listen to this, has priority over everything we do. And it has priority of all in every season of life. So priority over everything we do and priority in every season of life. The gathered worship of God. This psalm starts with the pilgrims calling on the priests and Levites on the night shift to come and join them in the gathered worship of God. Look at this one to two again. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Now we know from other passages in the Old Testament that there was, as I said, there were morning and evening sacrifices in the temple. After the evening sacrifice, what used to happen is that a new set of priests and Levites called the night watchers, they took over the service in the temple. So you've had the morning worship, the sacrifice on the evening, and then in the evening after those two services are done, a new set called the night watchers come to the temple. Right? What is their job? Well, their job um, description is to prepare the temple, clean it all up, make sure everything is ready for the sacrifices the next day in the morning. But they had even a more important job, which was to maintain the praise before God during the night. You remember, if you know your Old Testament very well, that the Lord had commanded that the light in the temple should never go out. And so these, uh, these were to come, not only to keep the light going, but to sing praises constantly to God. And we find that, of course, in First Chronicles chapter 9, verse 33. So, the, the, so we see here that in Psalm 134, we are in the temple during the evening sacrifice. That's what's happening. The dead priests have performed the sacrifices and prayers before the Lord God. And now, this psalm we are looking at this morning uh, is part of the ceremony, if you like, to encourage the night shift servants not to go straight ahead and start the service, but to actually to start their work in the temple, but to leave all of that aside, first and foremost. And to first of all join in in the gathering of the church. That's verse 1. Come, don't go straight to do the night work. Come with us. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord, of course, is the temple. The come is saying, come, bless Barak in the Hebrew. To bless the Lord means to treat God as he deserves to be treated. To praise and worship him. To honor God in word and in deed. And the most famous passage in the Bible where the call for blessing has been given is in Psalm 34, isn't it? And it explains nicely what it means to bless the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 1 to 3 says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Blessing the Lord is about praise, isn't it? My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. It's about giving our heart to the Lord in worship. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. 
And let us exalt his name together. That's blessing God. That's blessing God. And in Psalm 134, the pilgrim worshippers are reminding the night watchers, the Levites, and the priests. They're saying, no, no, your top priority is not to go sweat ahead and do the cleaning and do all that sort of thing. Your top priority is that you must first and foremost be come and worship with us before the Lord. Be gathered together in the worship of the Lord. They are saying there is no point of the night shift if this is not the priority. There is no point to anything you're doing in your life if you're not gathering with the people of God. It is that that must give tone to everything you do in your life. Worship comes before service. And of course, service in itself is worship. But only if we prioritize first giving our heart together to the Lord's people in gathered worship. Therefore, the pilgrims are also reminding not only that worship is a, is comes, is a priority over everything, the pilgrim worshippers, remember, are reminding these night shift servants that gathered worship of God is a priority at all times, including in the night. Think about the night watches for a moment. They are the most difficult job of all servants in the temple. They worked at night when everyone else was comfortably asleep. I have never done a night shift in my life. I have never done that, but I'm sure some of you have done that. Night shift is, well, my wife tells me it's hard work. It is a fight against the body. The body is not used to it. And you know what's hard about night shift is that it's also obscure work. Because night shift, when you do it, you get very little credit for it. When the boss comes to visit, <laughs> it doesn't come at night. <laughs> uh, if it's taking people around, the dignitaries, it comes during the day. And it would have been the same for these night shift workers in the temple. We could imagine if the high priest or the, 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 the king showed up to inspect how things are going in the temple. You know, King David shows up. He's not going there at night. He'll go there during the day. And so the work done at night, the people who take credit are, of course, the people who greet the king and the, and the, and the high priest during the day. So it's hard work. It's work with little, uh, with, with little credit. It's not easy. And so we, the temptation, therefore, if it's so hard and it's difficult, is, is simply just to get on with it. To treat it as, a, as just something that you must get on and just do it. It's just a, a fact of life. Let me just get it done. And that would have been a temptation for these night shift workers in the temple. And we expect God to give them a pass, isn't it? Like, okay, you've got hard work enough, so don't bother about worship. But no. God is reminding the pilgrims, gathered worship with these people is not only a priority every time, it is a priority in whatever season of life you're in. Even in tough seasons. All people of God must prioritize the gathered worship of God, even in those dark times. God wants us as a fellowship to keep gathering in dark times, in distressing times, and even in dangerous times. If we are physically, physically able to gather, and we can't always physically gather as individuals, sometimes we are unwell, 
Sometimes emergencies occur and we're not able to be here. But if we can be here physically, God says we must gather. Gathering together for worship has priority over everything in our lives. And it has priority in every season of life. We must gather physically to worship God. And yet as I share this word of God, this teaching is alien, isn't it? To many of us who profess to follow Jesus today. For many of us, we only gather for worship when it is convenient to us. And if we're honest, gathering together for worship is just not a priority for us. And I, and I suspect for many people, if they were to hear what, we are, what the Bible is saying here, it sounds like God is meddling too much in our lives. Really? The gathered worship of God being a top priority? Over everything? And in every time? That sounds too much. And so as a result, we are not consistent in gathering with these people. Why is consistent gathering for worship not a priority for many professing Christians? Well, I think there are many reasons. One reason is that we are just too busy, especially in the Western world. Our lives are filled with so many demands. Family, the family wants time. The place of work wants time. Especially in these difficult economic times. And of course, we need rest, don't we, as individuals. And, and I feel, personally, I feel that you just don't have enough hours during the week. Like, we need more hours during the day, right? 24 hours doesn't often feel enough. And so it often feels like we just don't have time to be with God's people. So it's just busyness, the busyness of life. Another reason is that sometimes church can be very discouraging. There are people who genuinely want to gather with joy every Sunday morning. But the people of God can let us down. Fractured relationships and godly leadership. It's hard gathering God's people in such circumstances. And of course, the other reason might be just anxiety about life. You know, during the pandemic, the government told us, don't go to church or you die. That's what the government said. Don't go to church or you die from COVID. And so many of us were naturally anxious, isn't it? And perhaps our anxiety became even more extreme because we, we became the extreme opposite of Job who said, do you remember what Job said? He says, I love my life. Job said, I hate my life. I would not live forever. That's what Job said. But many of us are the extreme opposite of Job. We love this life. We would love to live this life, this very life, forever. We would love it. You see, for many people who profess to follow Jesus, this, this world seems to be their home. And so when our health is threatened in any ways, when life becomes anxious, we, we, we withdraw to our homes, don't we? And of course, there are other anxieties, aren't there, apart from the anxiety for health. Um, there's an anxiety, for example, of just meeting people. You know, faithful churches, godly churches, faithful churches that follow the Lord Jesus Christ and are shaped by the gospel, such, those churches are vulnerable places. What I mean by that is, there are places in which people are vulnerable with one another. In a healthy church, 
People want to know us, don't they? They invite us in their homes and we enter their homes. They spend time with us over coffee. We empty our lives to them. They empty their lives to us. We, they, they owe us accountable. We owe them accountable, right? That sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds good, right? But you see, for many of us in our culture, that's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. We do want to be known by others. But there is a huge part of us that do not want other people to know us very well. We are afraid of being let down. And so some of us tend to withdraw from the gathered assembly or to only gather once in a while. We are afraid of vulnerability. Or when we come here, not to really gather at all, to just be here in name only. There are many reasons we struggle to prioritize true gathered worship together. And those are some of the reasons. I'm sure you can think of other reasons. But I think all of these reasons are proxy reasons. They are not the big fundamental reason. I think the fundamental reason is this. We do not prioritize gathering for worship because we do not realize that it is a great and gracious privilege from God. It is a privilege for us to gather together to worship God. And when we realize that, we treat it as a priority. You see, when we know something is a privilege, we prioritize it, don't we? When we have a job that we know that we don't do, we, we, if we have a job and we know that we don't deserve it, we put in a lot of effort, don't we? We do. But if we think that the job we have is below us, right, we feel we deserve it anyway, and actually the job doesn't deserve us, right? What happens is we don't prioritize it. We don't put any effort into it. Uh, we start doing the work with a sense of entitlement, right? So we try and miss the work if we can. Any opportunity to miss work, we do it. Or if we turn up for work, we are always late, right? Or when we are there, we never really put in any effort. And if we are there, as soon as the work finished, we are out of the door, right? I've been there. I mean, I used to spend most of my time at work with, with guys over lunch in the canteen mourning about how terrible the workplace is. But none of us would quit. But, but we mourned about it anyway. And we always left early. And we always did the minimum. And it's sinful. But the reason for that is that, to be honest, some of us were overqualified for the work we're doing. And we had done enough experience that we felt we needed to be somewhere else. We just lacked the courage to be somewhere else. Right? It's a fact of life that if something is, we feel is below us, we don't treat it as a priority. And I think this is the point here. The point I'm making is that you will never regard gathered worship as a priority until you recognize that it is a privilege to you from God. And that is the second lesson of this psalm. That's why the second lesson of this psalm is crucial. The first lesson is about the priority of gathered worship. But well, the second lesson here is about the privilege of gathered worship. The privilege of gathered worship. Beloved, no one deserves to worship God. Let that sink in. No human being has a right 
to worship God. Worship of God in private or public is a privilege God gives to people he has chosen to be part of his community. Think about that. This is the opposite of what people think about worshiping God. You know, when I go talk to people on the Broadway, Brother Rob and I are out there doing some evangelism, and sometimes when I've spoken to people on the Broadway, one of the questions they ask me is this. Well, you're telling them you need to repent, you need to trust in God, you need to worship God. You know what, they, what, what one of the questions they ask me? They say, what do I owe God to worship him? What do I owe God to worship him? The point is that they feel the worship of God is somehow doing God a favor. And if they don't worship God, they think God loses out. And often what you're going to find is that somebody, for example, who has gone through pain and suffering in their lives, maybe they lost a loved one. I was talking to somebody recently at the Broadway, um, a lady. She lost two people in her life last time we were there. And, and one of the reasons that she just couldn't get herself to worship God is that she felt God had offended her by taking away the two friends. So for her, worshiping God was like, if I worship God, I'm doing him a favor. And it took away my two closest people in my life. So why should I worship him? And so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to worship him because if I don't worship him, he loses out, right? From my worship. But beloved, God doesn't need your worship. Let that sink in. God doesn't need your worship. Listen, God does not command people to worship him because he needs it. And I'm really especially speaking to the young people here today. God doesn't command you to worship because somehow when you worship him, you're doing him a favor like he needs it. In fact, if you don't worship him, somehow he's going to miss it. No. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. And not only that, God has innumerable billions of angels right now worshiping him day and night, perfect creatures who know how to worship God. The heavenly temple is never closed. Why would God need you to worship him? God is happy with himself, with or without our worship. God commands us to worship him because we need to worship him. It is what we are created for. We are created to worship God. And if we do not, because in worshiping God, we find our, our joy, our happiness, our satisfaction. And I just want to let the young people let this sink in because, you know, mom and dad says, you know, be good, come to church, worship, and it feels like you're having to do things. Why am I doing all of these things? Why does God need me to go to church on Sunday today? You know, well, it doesn't. It doesn't. You need to go to church on Sunday because, as we'll see later, you need it. Right? It is a privilege God gives us. God commands us to worship him because we need to worship him. If we don't worship our good God, we will worship something else. Everyone is a worshiper. If you don't worship the God who made you, who is perfectly good and wise, you are worshiping something else. Your wife, your life, usually just a self-worship, isn't it? 
And whatever that thing you're worshipping, it will ultimately destroy you. So the point is that, is this then. When we worship God, we are not adding to him. Rather, our worship of God is a gracious privilege. It is a privilege he gives to unworthy sinners. God is too holy. We shouldn't even be talking to him because of our sin. His holiness should consume us. But out of his grace, he invites us to worship him. Unworthy sinners. And that brings us to a crucial point here I'm trying to get to, which is this. The crucial point is that the gathered worship of God is therefore an exclusive privilege of only those people who are part of God's covenant family. Notice twice we read in the psalm the words of the Lord. Look at that verse 1. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of who? Of the Lord. Who stand by night where? In the house of the Lord. Of the Lord. Right? The point is that worship is a privilege of those who belong to the Lord. Who are in the relationship with God. You cannot truly worship God unless you belong to his family. Those who don't know God, who haven't truly repented and come to true serving faith in Jesus, cannot worship him. God only accepts worship of the regenerate, of people who truly belong to God. Because the good news of the Bible is that all true followers of Jesus share in this exclusive privilege of gathered worship of the true God. And it is only truly regenerate people who share in this privilege. All true followers of Jesus are now the new priests of God through Jesus Christ, our high priest and the mediator of the new covenant. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies, the worship of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so, as we are gathered in worship today, we are meeting as the people of God in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true King of Zion. This is the privilege of our gathered worship. We gather in the presence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And oh, beloved, what is our God like? Who is this God we have come to worship? Well, I hope those of us who have been with us since January here, have we gone through the Psalms of Ascent, you have been reminded, if you remember anything from the Psalms of Ascent, I hope you've been reminded of just how wonderful God is. And why he's so worthy of praise. But in case you haven't been here, let me just remind you. In Psalm 120, God is our warrior who protects us from our enemies. In Psalm 121, he is our keeper and sleepless guardian in times of trouble. In Psalm 122, he's our king of Zion who rules in peace and security. In Psalm 123, is our master and mistress who cares for all our needs in his household. In Psalm 124, is the powerful God who saves us from the raging waters. His power breaks the snare of Satan and sin. In Psalm 125, is the mountain that surrounds his church against the scepter of wickedness in the land. He is the good God who does good things for us forevermore. 
In Psalm 126, is the restorer of our broken lives. In Psalm 127, is the builder of our family, the watchman who keeps us safe, and the farmer who feeds us. With them, there is no need for anxious toil. In Psalm 128, is our happiness. The source of happiness in our individual lives, in our families, and in the church. In Psalm 129, is our justice when life is afflicted. We are with the psalmist when he says, Greatly have they afflicted me since the days of my youth, but they have not prevailed over me, Psalm 129 tells us. Why? Because God is our justice when life is hurting. In Psalm 130, is our merciful and loving redeemer against sin. With him there is plentiful redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 131, is our caring and gentle God, who lovingly cares for us like a mother. He helps us rest on him alone like a winged child with his mother. In Psalm 132, we saw that he's the mighty one of Jacob, the devoted God of David, David's greatest son in Jesus, our horn, our lamp, and our crown in Christ. In Psalm 133, last time we saw that is our glorious unit, isn't it? It's the dew of a man and the sweet-smelling oil of unity that flows from, the, from Aaron's beard. And here in Psalm 134, we see in verse 3 that, don't we? May the Lord bless you from Zion who made heaven and earth. It's reminding us he is God our creator, the one and only maker of heaven and earth, This is the God who is with us today. This is why it is a wonderful privilege to gather to worship this God. You are not doing this God a favor by worshiping him. He's doing you a favor by inviting you here to gather to worship him. Our God is so amazing. We do not deserve it. He is a marvelous God who doesn't need our worship. We cannot add anything to him. And yet in Christ, are you not amazed that he gives us the honor to worship him? Notice the words there, bless the Lord. And we'll come to this in a moment, which says, bless you from Zion. Same word. How can I bless God and he blesses me? That's odd. I had nothing to him. But I know when he blesses me, he has things to me. That's the honor. That's the privilege. God somehow, mysteriously, who doesn't need anything, delights in our worship. We actually bless God as we meet. It's amazing. It's amazing. How is this possible? Well, how can our worship delight a perfect being? The self-sufficient God, how can he possibly delight in anything? He doesn't need anything. Because, you see, our worship is not a human thing. Our worship is not a man thing. It is a God thing. God, the Spirit, you see, dwells among his people. Ephesians 2. We are the temple of God. And it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who takes our scattered worship, our misguided worship in so many ways, and, 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 and he brings it all together, you see. He's the one who then takes this and makes the sweet-smelling perfume of worship, and he brings it there before the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is the gracious privilege of our gathered worship. We look ordinary now as we meet today. But God is a madness. Our worship this morning is from God and by God and to God. And the privilege is that he graciously involves us, you see, in this worship for his glory. And that's why gathered church is so important. That's why what we're doing here is so important. Because it's not a human activity. It is, a, it is not a man-made thing. We are worshipping in the presence of God. And, I feel, and as if that's not wonderful enough, there's one more final thing we learn in this psalm about the importance of gathered worship. And it is this, the, second, the third and final point. Uh, the prior, first of all, we've seen the priority of gathered worship. Uh, we've also seen the privilege of gathered worship. And finally, very quickly, the profit of gathered worship. We worship God because he is worthy of our worship. It is a privilege to worship him. But amazingly, according to this psalm, our worship of God also benefits us. As we worship him, it brings true blessings in our lives. And we see that here, isn't it? Uh, What's happening in verse 3 is that the pilgrims have worshipped God there in the temple in Jerusalem. And they have ended by encouraging the night watchers in verse 1 and 2. To worship God, we read that. Come, bless the Lord, or you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And then in verse 3, what happens is the priests presiding over the evening sacrifice in the temple hear the words of verse 1 and 2, and they now pronounce a blessing or a benediction to the gathered people. Look at verse 3. May the Lord bless you, the pilgrim from Zion. He who made heaven and earth. Zion, of course, is the city of Jerusalem. It is often used in the Bible as a short end for the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God in the Old Testament. So the question is, what does the priest mean when he says, may the Lord bless you from Zion? Well, this is a song of ascent, isn't it? So the picture here is of the pilgrim as they worship God in Zion. And now they are about to leave. So the priest now is asking God to bless the pilgrim as they return home. To take the blessings of Zion back into their ordinary lives. And so this psalm is teaching us that as the people of God gather to worship God, it brings blessing in our lives. As we bless him, he blesses us in return. The gathered worship of God, therefore, has a blessing attached to it. Because we gather to worship God in the presence of the Almighty God. The presence of God in gathered worship, if you like, unleashes a new grace-shaped torrent of blessings that transforms the lives of the people of God. What are some of the blessings that we are likely to see when we worship God with his people? Well, we'd have to review the Psalms again. Because they're spelled out in many of the Psalms of Ascent. For example, in Psalm 128, just briefly, it connects the blessing of gathered worship with joy and happiness in our personal life, our work, our family, and the church. Psalm 132 connects dwelling with God dwelling with his people with abundant provision, never-ending satisfaction, joy, and salvation. I mean, it's worth reading Psalm 132 again, isn't it? Verse 13 to 16. It says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. 
This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless our provisions. I will satisfy our poor with bread. Our priests, our clothed with salvations. And our saints, we shout for joy. The point in this and other Psalms is that gathered worship of God is a means of grace that God has chosen to bless his people in Christ with. It's a means of grace. The gathered worship of God profits us. God blesses us as we worship him. And he's able to do it because he's the king of the universe, isn't it? May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Our worship of God prophesies not because we end these blessings, but because God is present in his goodness and in his mercy, as we've seen throughout the Psalms of Ascent. And he's present with all of our goodness and mercy as we gather together now in worship. He's among us to care and nature us. He's our living God who ministers to us by God the Spirit. God our Father is devoted to us in Christ. As we are gathered now, the Holy Spirit is directly ministering to us. He's breathing life on dead souls. He's strengthening those who are alive in Christ. He's comforting the weary. Amen. And God is using all of these things we do, you see, we do here as we gather to bless Him, to worship Him. He's using the preaching of the Word. He's using our praying. He's using our singing. He's using our fellowship. And He's going to use the Lord's table as a means of grace later to strengthen us. God is the blesser of his children. And we have learned here that he blesses us as we worship him. The gathered worship of God blesses us. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. You see, the reason we do not prioritize gathered worship is because we do not realize what a privilege it is to worship God together. And what a gracious blessing it is. And so often when we come to church, it is simply a tick box. Or even worse, we come here with a checklist of what we want out of it. That was in the, I won't say more about that. That was in the, the bit that I cut out, right? We come with a checklist. Or just as bad we arrive for gathered worship with no real expectation that anything special is happening. You know, we come to church just expecting the same old, same old. No real expectation of about to encounter the Lord God and that he will renew us and bless us. And so what happens often is that we come to church very tired, sleepy, unable to focus. Because we've lived for other things throughout the week and we are not coming. You see, okay, this is another bit that was cut out. So I've got to stop here because we've got lost table, right? <laughs> the rhythm of... I guess this is the whole entire different seven. The, the rhythm... All of the Psalms of Ascent, I've got to just pass this to you. It's, it's, it's meant to be the pilgrim comes, has been preparing all the way through the Psalms of Ascent, and comes to this high point, worships God, so that they can live properly again, and prepare again, and come back to Jerusalem. That's how it's meant to be, the rhythm of the Christian life. The week is meant to prepare you for this moment. And as you are renewed by God, God refreshes you. Look, Sunday is not meant to prepare you for Monday as such. It's the other way around. But, I, but, but in God's mercy, as you gather together with God's people, 
you have a better mandate. Because the blessing goes back. That's verse 3. So that's the rhythm. Right? You, you use the whole week to prepare to be your best here on a Sunday. Because this is your high point of the week. And as you are refreshed and renewed, God then returns the blessing. That's the point. That's, 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 it. that's the other sermon. And that's what these psalms are reminding us. And that's what the psalms of ascent is reminding us. It's reminding us that there's nothing more important in our service and life with God than the gathered worship of God. It must be a priority in our life because it's a great privilege and it's a great profit to us. It is a means through which God blesses us. There is no vibrant and blessed Christian life without it. Those who willfully cut themselves off from regular gathered worship of God injure themselves. So let us today, beloved, resolve. That's the only takeaway today. I'm not asking you to do 50 things. I'm asking you this morning to go before God to resolve afresh to gather with the people of God and to come here prepared to worship Him in every season of life and in every and above every situation. We must keep gathering. And pray that, especially as the church enters uh, what, what might be a dark winter, that we continue to gather to God. Take all the careful precautions we can, but gather we must. Beloved, the world can't understand this stuff we're talking about. Again, that's the other sermon. Um, it can't understand this stuff. Why are you meeting? It doesn't realize any of this stuff. But we as the people of God must know these things and we must commit ourselves to gathering together here. Because it's a priority, it's a privilege, and it profits us. But may the Lord help us. Amen.